0: Welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. A strange and unpredictable scandal has shaken Colombian politics to its core. Does this spell doom for President Gustavo Petro's progressive agenda?
1: The government has its credibility sort of tainted by these accusations. Now, this does not mean that the government is finished or that it has lost its governability or political leverage. This scandal has impacted the administration, but the government will likely continue having relative support from its electoral base and will continue having relative political capital in Congress to continue pushing for its reforms.
0: I've been following Latin American politics for nearly 25 years now, and I have to tell you, this recent scandal in Colombia is one of the craziest, most convoluted stories I've seen. For those who haven't kept up, Armando Benedetti, until recently Colombia's ambassador to Venezuela, has made numerous allegations, including that funding for President Gustavo Petro's campaign came from irregular sources. This scandal, which erupted about two weeks ago, also involves lie detectors, illegal wiretaps, and potentially a rogue nanny. And look, we cannot possibly get into every single detail here on today's podcast. It would take up the whole half hour. You can find a fuller accounting of the story online if you're curious. But the bottom line is this. Many people believe that Petro's presidency is now grievously wounded that his popularity, which had already fallen down into the 30s, will fall further, and that his entire progressive agenda, which includes proposed changes to the healthcare, pension and labor systems, might now be at severe risk or even dead in the water. So what we thought we'd do on the podcast today is take a deep breath, try to cut through all the noise and the telenovela-like drama, And look at what the real impact is likely to be on Colombia's politics. How much danger President Petro really is in, what it means for the energy sector, for the economy at large. Our guest is Laura Lizarazo, a senior analyst at Control Risks, a consultancy group. Laura, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Brian.
0: Laura, the last two weeks have been dominated by this crazy scandal which led some people to say that Petro's government was effectively over, or at least that his agenda was dead. As we record this, the dust seems to have settled a bit. Where do we stand now?
1: Well, the government certainly had a significant blow to its credibility, given that it was elected as a progressive Administration that would rule in favor of those marginalized and that would do politics differently. And it intended to distance itself from the traditional ruling elites and establishment. And these accusations of illegal wiretapping and irregularities during the campaign certainly cause a reputational damage. Now, this does not mean that the government is finished or that it has lost its governability or political leverage. This scandal has impacted the administration, but the government will likely continue having relative support from its electoral base and will continue having relative political capital in Congress to continue pushing for its reforms.
0: Now, President Petro, it's fair to note, has said that he did nothing wrong. He has also said that all of this scandal is part of an attempt by Colombia's establishment to lead a quote-unquote soft coup against him. But as you referenced, Laura, I mean, even people who were not on board with Petro's progressive agenda Many of his voters did believe that he was different in some ways, from in good ways, from the Colombian political class, that he was not corrupt. And certainly these allegations, if true, have changed that that perception. Is your sense that this has taken a toll on his approval ratings, which had already fallen in recent months from about 50 percent into the mid-30s? Certainly, his.
1: Low approval ratings, which are now near 25, 26% or 30, nearing 30%, according to different pollsters, this drop certainly accounts for this disappointment among those that are not necessarily part of his backers, but that believed in his change agenda. So this scandal has definitely come as a blow to his favorability ratings.
0: This story has so many elements that are almost like a soap opera that it's easy to lose yourself in some of the more scandalous elements. But it's also true that if you listen to what some of the protagonists are saying, there could be some real legal risk here. One of the messages that Benedetti, uh, the former Ambassador in Venezuela, who I referenced during the introduction, one of the things that he said was, at the moment when I say who gave the money here on the coast, referring to electoral financing, this whole thing is over. What's your sense of what kind of legal risk people in the government face? And what would that mean to Petro's governability?
1: Well, this. Accusations regarding campaign irregularities have triggered three different institutional reactions. First, the one that the prosecutor's office will begin. Second, institutional reaction is that of the oversight committee of the House of Representatives, where Petro has a significant majority. No president has ever been formally accused in this Oversight Committee, so it is highly unlikely that he is accused in this committee. And the third institutional reaction is that of the National Electoral Council, which has prosecution, investigation, and sanction capabilities against any type of a campaign wrongdoing. But the problem is that the council does not have very sound investigation capabilities, and it's highly unlikely that it delivers a timely ruling against the president. So legal consequences are still
0: uncertain. If you look at this scandal and you listen to the stakes from the perspective of someone who follows Brazilian politics or Peruvian politics, you would think, Ah, this sounds like a guy who might be at risk of impeachment, but there's no tradition of that really in Colombian politics. Just out of curiosity, I can't resist this question as a comparative analyst of Latin American politics. Why is there no tradition of impeachment in Colombia?
1: The figure of the president is very strong in Colombia. And even though we have a sound checks and balances system that prevents any overreach attempts from the executive. The procedures are lengthy and quite complex and they are politically motivated, but due to the nature, the the transactional nature of Colombian politics and sometimes the the opaque nature of those transactions, it's quite easily to negotiate some type of free pass when one of these scandals take place.
0: All right, well, let's move on to this idea of Petro's agenda being dead. I mean, this was an ambitious agenda. I shouldn't even say in the past tense. The president remains committed to this agenda. Now, he managed to pass a tax reform in the last year, but he'd been struggling to move forward on this health reform in particular. There was also a labor reform, a pension reform. Do you agree that this agenda is kind of dead in the water for now, or does it depend on what happens in the next couple weeks and months?
1: It remains uncertain, but it's certainly not dead. The health reform, for example, passed its first debate in this legislative term and even though all debates have been postponed for the second legislative term in the second half of 2023, apparently the government would be willing to keep private health insurers as part of the system and this is a pivotal point for traditional parties to back the reform proposal. So this reform It's still uncertain if this reform would pass, but it's not dead yet. However, the scenario is quite challenging for the government as in the second half of the year, we have local regional elections, which will shift the focus of parties and political organizations, and they will shift their attention to this electoral race. So the government will have a tighter margin to negotiate these reforms and that regarding the highly controversial health reform but regarding the pension reform there is relative consensus regarding the need for this reform and this is backed backed by the inter-american development bank and this reform proposal is less controversial than the health reform. So this one might pass. And lastly, regarding the labor reform, I think this one is the most challenging for getting legislative approval. There is a firm rejection from the private sector, particularly small and medium businesses, which are the main employers in Colombia. And if they do not support this reform, it's highly unlikely that traditional parties do so.
0: Laura, it's fair to say that not everyone is upset by Petro's agenda. Okay, it's not quite dead, but it is facing more difficulties than it was before. Bloomberg had an interesting story in the aftermath that said leftist Colombia leader delivers the paralysis markets want and pointed out that there's been quite a rally in financial markets because this scandal would make Petro's agenda more difficult. It pointed out that so far the Colombian peso is about 15% stronger this year, which makes it the best performing major currency in the world. Do you think markets are getting it right in terms of their assessment of what all this means?
1: I think it's normal that there is some sort of market nervousness particularly after Jose Antonio Campo left the cabinet he was the finance minister very well respected technocrat a moderate who was highly regarded by markets and investors and once he was ousted this sent an alarming sign to markets however uh, the current finance minister Bonilla has given signals that he will continue all the efforts to maintain fiscal stability, and this will remain a key priority during his administration. So, yes, I think that there are some worrying signals for markets, particularly the regulatory uncertainty for some sectors, particularly oil mining. But the country has performed well in economic terms, and there are no signs that this will change in the near future. Petro's government is unlikely to make a radical turn to a state-run economy or towards resource nationalism. So I think that the signals are mixed, but the Colombian market is still attractive for some investors and for some markets.
0: So I asked about investors, and fair enough, that's part of our listenership here on the podcast. But I want to ask you about the other side of the equation, which is Petro's progressive base. I know that many of them are not happy with this paralysis, I suppose, you know, being a potential outcome of all of this. Petro also made some very bold promises during the campaign where he talked about stopping new exploration for oil projects for example, that is now in doubt, let's say. How has the reaction been among Petro's base, and is he now facing some criticism from the left because maybe some of these pillars of the Colombian economy that he had vowed to change might end up remaining intact?
1: Well, I think that last week's demonstrations are important. They show that Pedro still has a significant support among his electoral base, which is around 30% of those who initially voted for him last year. And this are integrated by workers unions, students in major cities, but they are still backing the president, despite he has not delivered yet any of his major reform proposals. Colombia has a long history of organized political movements, leftist movements. They have high expectations from uh, Petro's government because his agenda is more aligned with their interests and visions. And they are likely to continue supporting Petro even though the government does not deliver its ambitious proposals.
0: What do his supporters expect from him in concrete terms at this stage?
1: I think that the main expectation is a significant improvement in living conditions.
0: Vivir sabroso, as Vice President Francia Marquez said, right? Which became this wonderful campaign slogan, which I'm actually, I've put myself on the spot now. How would you translate that? It's basically to live well, but. It's more than that, right? It means something like to live deliciously.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And that, that makes part of the worldview of communities in the Pacific coast and uh, Afro-Colombian communities in this region have a world vision that highlights exactly this, to live peacefully, gladly in connection with nature and others and People are expecting basically that, to live without fear of violence and forced displacement, but also without fear of losing their jobs and without fear of not getting, putting food on their tables. And that remains the key point of people's expectations regarding Petro's agenda. But he has not yet delivered significant results in that regard, and expectations will continue there until he
0: does so. Well, and so let's talk about security policy a little bit. I mean, Petro has had this wonderful-sounding idea, at least, of Paz Total, Total Peace, this idea that Colombia needs to put its history of internal conflict fully in the past, that the peace accord signed with the FARC last decade was not enough, and now it needs to reach similar deals with the ELN as well as kind of other holdouts. But at times it has seemed, you know, unilateral, as if Petro is hoping that just by declaring peace, declaring a ceasefire, that violence will stop on the other side. And, of course, we've seen on multiple occasions now with the ELN in particular that that really has not worked. What is your assessment of where things stand now in terms of the security situation overall and the relationship with these various armed groups of whom the ELN is just one example?
1: The total peace strategy is a very ambitious goal as well because it intends to negotiate peace or demobilization simultaneously with very different actors who have Very different agendas and varying degrees of territorial and social control over different territories and communities nationwide. This is a highly ambitious strategy that has not been backed by a clear security and defense strategy. The government intends to shift the approach for security and defense issues towards a human security approach which prioritizes the protection of threatened communities rather than directly combating threat actors. And this is a radical shift in military doctrine in a country that has based the development of its military forces on the fight against guerrillas, rebels, and subversion. and. Now, troops on the ground lack clear instructions, tactical and operational strategies to implement this change. I think the government has achieved significant results, the bilateral ceasefire with the National Liberation Army, which is an unprecedented achievement that will likely The expectation is that it will likely pave the way for further violence, de-escalation in several territories. But yes, I think that the government still has to work on several points of its strategy if it intends it to succeed in achieving long-lasting peace.
0: Laura, you mentioned oil and mining earlier in this conversation. A crucial part of Petro's platform when he came to office was to stop all new fossil fuel exploration in Colombia and move Colombia's economy to renewable energy. This was always going to be tough, considering that oil accounts for about a third of Colombia's overall exports. In your mind, is President Petro behaving as if he's understood how difficult that challenge is? Where does he stand at this point? Does he seem determined to go more slowly? How how do you see it?
1: I think that he is going maybe more slowly due to the current scandals and other agenda issues that currently demand his attention. But I don't see him giving up on this agenda priority. This has been a symbolic part of his campaign agenda. And. It is also one of his priorities right now. He did not oust Minister Mines and Energy Minister Irene Vélez in the last cabinet reshuffle, and everyone was the markets were expecting that because she is a kind of a radical voice in his cabinet that scares investors, scares the markets, cause market uncertainty and nervousness, but he did not oust her. That means that he will probably remain adamant regarding his energy transition and his idea to give up on fossil fuels.
0: I've heard people say, though, that Colombia has a pipeline of enough oil projects already authorized, that the next couple of years will still sort of have more or less acceptable levels of production. And I guess the bet that some companies are making is that his government will end, someone new will come in with different ideas and start authorizing oil projects again. I mean, does that, does that sound like a reasonable bet to you? Yes,
1: and that coincides with the sentiments of some oil and mining investors here in Colombia. I think last week there was a poll a private poll among CEOs of mining companies and I think also oil companies. And they were asked if they were planning to boost their investments in Colombia or if they were planning to disinvest in the country. And most of them are not planning on new investments. And they said that they would wait for this government to end its term in 2026, and then relaunch investments. So, yes, I think that might be the case.
0: Final question for you, Laura. You know, many analysts, and and I'll be frank here, I am one of them, have occasionally been concerned about a possible authoritarian impulse that one hears in President Petro's rhetoric referring, of course, to one recent incident where he said that he's the boss of the attorney general. Of course, the attorney general is independent under Colombian law. As we look at the potential for democratic backsliding and institutional conflict, how concerned are you that now that Petro is kind of backed into a corner somewhat by this latest scandal that some of his allies may face investigation. How solid is Colombian democracy?
1: I'm not worried about a democratic backslide because the check and balances system in Colombia is quite sound. And it has proven so, especially regarding Petro's overreach attempts. And several courts have issued adverse rulings against some of his decisions for example last year he intended to unilaterally define tariffs for utilities and this was prevented by one of the high courts of the country so even though he will try to impose some of his agenda priorities through executive mechanisms if Congress does not approve his reforms, the checks and balances system will remain solid, healthy, and will prevent any authoritarian attempt from Petro. He will remain in check due to the healthy functioning of high courts, civil society, uh, even parties in Congress, the media. And I don't see any real risk of an authoritarian turn with his government.
0: Laura, we wanted a a sober voice on Colombia right now. You've definitely given us that. Thank you so much for joining us on the AQ Podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Brian, for having me. It was my pleasure. Until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly Podcast is produced by Luisa Franco and edited in partnership with Human Group Media.